to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are continuing our Mission Impossible series with Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. The IMF has shut down when it's implicated in the bombing of the Kremlin, causing Ethan Hunt and his new team to go rogue to clear their organization's name. It's number four. Ghost Protocol. That's a great name. Like, it is. It's a great name. So you teased that MI3 might not be your favorite in the series. Correct. Now I'm curious. Okay, so there are six currently, as of 2020, there are six films that have been released. Yes. I have not seen five at all. Mm-hmm. And I, have I. I have seen the first hour of number six like three times. I've never seen it. <laughs> um, I have seen up until they go into the bathroom and go punchy punchy and then I don't know what happens okay. in that movie. So the first four are the only ones that I have fully seen, uh-huh. where I know what happens, and this one's my favorite of the four that I've fully seen. Why? I feel like this one uses Tom Cruise the best, and the rest of the cast the best. Like, I get a lot more Simon Pegg, whom I adore. I love Paula Patton. I love Tom Cruise and Jeremy Renner against each other. I like Jeremy Renner in this movie, even though he's a garbage person now. So I just, I love, I like all those elements. It really feels like how the first movie could have been if it had better punched up dialogue and they let Emilio Estevez's character not die. This movie to me lost a lot of the intensity from the last one and the first one. And I missed that from these movies. There's way more jokes and way more big setups and far less really tense moments. See, I don't think that. Mm. I don't think this one. Here's the thing about this movie. This one is less action. This one's more spy movie. But I think this movie is also too long. Yeah, it's it's not just that it's too long. It's that we go into some stuff that is absolutely not necessary. There's a solid 30 minutes you could cut out of this movie. Oh, yeah. And you just you just like most of everything that happens after they do everything at the Khalifa can kind of go. Well, they have to get the codes for the satellite that the guy owns. It just doesn't need to go on that long. No, it's just, and it's like they built all these cool sequences and then they're like, well, we have to keep all of them. It's as though Brad Bird got all these sequences and decided that he needed to give backstory to everyone involved in them. And, and he didn't. To be fair, he did not write the script, but still. That being said, I enjoy everything. I really enjoy everyone in the movie for the most part. And so like, I I really do like this movie. Because Mission Impossible 2 doesn't exist, I'm going to say this is the weakest entry in the franchise. It's not true. But that being said, it's not a bad movie. No. Like me saying it's the weakest is just exemplifying how much I think MI3 is amazing and how much I still really enjoy Mission Impossible. I think I put this one ahead of three because even though I think they could have cut a whole set sequence, I still like the sequence. Oh man, we we have two very different views. That's fine. We have two very different views on these movies. That's fine. Well, the budget for this movie was $145 million. Just a little bit less than the last one. Okay. So... All right. I mean, the last one didn't do well, so I can understand them being like, eh, we're not giving you that much money. They still were like, we have faith in the franchise, but let's Scale let's go back. the same route and see what we get now. Mm-hmm. It made in the US $209 million, and globally it made $695 million. That made it the highest grossing film of the franchise thus far, 
and it beat out Tom Cruise's highest grossing film at that point, War of the Worlds. Okay. So it did quite well. Good. There was a huge marketing campaign behind it. I do remember that. Oh, yes. <laughs> I do too. Like that poster everywhere. And I'm like, the name is great. Oh, it's a very good name. And the concept, also great. We have to go Ghost Protocol. That is the one thing that I don't like about this movie. Not the concept of them shutting down IMF and Ghost Protocol. Mm -hmm. That is cool. The nuclear warhead thing bugs me. The story is kind of messy in all of that regard. But I still like we're going into the Kremlin. I love everything that happens at the Kremlin. Oh, yeah. It's basically a setup mission that fucks them over. There's already somebody else there with the real shit. The Kremlin gets blown up. Also amazing. Like the whole operation. Awesome. That's classic. It's a great callback to like this huge thing that happened in the first one. It's great. But that should have been a much tighter sequence to get us into what's really happening. And the nuclear code thing is just so dumb. The stakes are so ridiculously high at that point that it is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Like all three of these past movies, even Mission Impossible 2, as wacky and bad as a movie that is, mm -hmm. the stakes were never pushed that far in that regard. Yeah. It's a rogue agent or disappeared agent. Yeah. And it's, it's about... Who's who and who do you trust? Exactly. And them going on ghost protocol with something like this is insane. It just is. It's just insane. And again, again, I love ghost protocol. We have to like we have to shut everything down. We have to pretend like we don't exist and we are going to get no help. I think to me, that's what made me struggle with the movie so much is as soon as we announced that was the stakes of the movie. I mean, I'm engaged in the action. But at that point, plot wise, I'm like, I don't buy any of this anymore. I just don't. That's fair. But I know. I know I'm just ignoring all of that because I like the sequences. <laughs> I, that's really what it comes out. I enjoy. And they pull off the sequences of, of the stakes of what's happening. That's that's what's happened. That's what I like. Yeah. I. It is hard to deny the strength of that. Sure. I think it's if you are a fan of this franchise, the thing that you enjoy about these movies is the believability in the story. Fair. You know, and again, MI2 for all its faults does have a pretty plausible story. True. And that's that's where this one is like, why would you jump the shark now mm -hmm. for no good reason? When any number of things could trigger you shutting down the IMF, blaming them, but then making them go fix the problem. Yep. Like, there's so many ways to do that. Fuck. Look at the Avengers. They yep. did the same damn thing. Pretty much. Shut down the Avengers so the Avengers can go rogue and find out who did this. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Cruz also thought this was a good move to go with a subtitle for this movie. He has always hated using numbers to delineate sequels. And he especially thought it was important for this franchise because he considered each film its own standalone episode of the franchise. These weren't supposed to be sequels that tack on to the same story over and over again. I appreciate that. I like it when it's Mission Impossible 4 Ghost Protocol because you do start to get confused about like if there's no number, which one is which. So I like when you, I like it when it's a combination of the two, but like, I mean, he's not wrong. No. And as the, as the producer with a big stake in the vision of this franchise, I appreciate that he was like, I'm glad we switched to this now. Yeah. No, that's fair. And this is the first film in the series to be released in IMAX. Oh, okay. Uh, it was played with no other previews in IMAX except to the six minute prologue to The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, yeah. That was another huge tie in. 
Uh, the only reason I went to go see I Am Legend was to see the four-minute trailer for Dark Knight. <laughs> wow. And then after that, I was like, I don't even care about I Am Legend now. I'm just glad I got to see that. Such a different time. <laughs> Remember when we went to the movies? Yes. <laughs> Remember when we went to the movies every single week and when we did this podcast, we're like, okay, so this week we also saw... Yeah, yeah. That, like, was, that was fun. It was huh? fun. That was like our whole life. Uh, Things have changed, y'all. Life is weird. All right, writing. First up, we're going to say his name every time, Bruce Geller, creator of the original series. Then we have our actual writers, Josh Applebaum and Andre Nemich. Okay. Before this, they did lots of television, including creating October Road and the U.S. version of Life on Mars. Okay. After this, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, they created Zoo on television, and they wrote Wonder Park. Coming up, they're writing G.I. Joe Ever Vigilant and Beverly Hills Cop 4. They're also exec producers on a lot of other television shows. Eh. <laughs> um, the dialogue is fabulous. Like it's so fun. It is so fun. I mean, you and I cracked up when Ethan is on the building. That the whole sequence. <laughs> the, the sequence is insane. Which okay, at this point, you've you've seen the preview. You know this is happening. You're just in for it. And Jeremy Renner's character, who I don't remember what his name is, is just like. Your line's not long enough! No shit! Just the fact that we open that sequence and we figure out that he's going to have to go on the roof. And Ethan is normally just like, okay, this is what I got to do. But Ethan's face is like, what? I, it's not even, it's not even that like bored, I'm annoyed look. It's that, are you fucking kidding me? I have that? I can't do that. No, even he's like, fuck me. Uh It's like, yeah, of course. Fuck me the hundred and what there are how many stories of this goddamn building (laughs) what the fuck that's one other thing about this movie that is pretty cool is that they threw in a lot of wrinkles like they have these plans and then the plans get fucked up a lot and one of the things that i like about that is it's a perfect opportunity to let simon Pegg shine he gets to shine so much in this movie. They all do. They really do. I love Paula Patton. She gets to be a badass. She gets to be emotional. I love her. I love that even she, like, she she thinks she fucks up a moment mm-hmm. just because of her personal emotional reaction. Yeah. Which and is something that a spy would have to struggle with. Sure. And, and so it's it's very, it's very good in that respect. True. And I I just, I like her. She's great. But all the exposition. There's a little bit too much exposition, but the, the dialogue is fabulous. There's so there's so much humor in this film, which makes it fun given how much like amping up they want to do. It it's needs that, to be funny. It's that weird situation where we are complaining more about the plot than we are about the characters or dialogue. And then and yet we still had a lot of fun watching it. So it's like, yeah, yeah, the plot sucks, but who cares? We enjoyed it. Like I said, me thinking this is the weakest entry is not an indictment on the movie itself. It's still a heck of a fun watch, but it's just not as good as the other two for me. All right, that's fair. Next, we have our director, Brad Bird. Before this, he directed the Do the Bartman video. Oh, God. The Iron Giant, The Incredibles, and Ratatouille. After this, he directed Tomorrowland and The Incredibles 2. He has never directed live people. This is his live action film debut. Interesting. Yes. 
He was mostly hired because of the espionage themes in The Incredibles. Okay. And also, I assume he had connections with people through his work at Pixar. I mean, based on just the Iron Giant alone, Mm -hmm. Brad Bird is considered like a almost legend level director to some people. Just because of the ingenuity that he had in taking an animated drama and scripting it so thoughtfully uh-huh. and and directing it that way. We'll find out later kind of how he got the job. Okay. But this also gets into our writing okay. a little bit. Because when Brad Bird agreed to do the movie, he asked J.J. Abrams for the screenplay. Uh-huh. Because J.J. was originally supposed to direct this film. Sure. He was going to follow it up with a mid-May release. But the film got delayed in a lot of pre-production and script writing. Mm -hmm. And then JJ started on Super 8. Mm. And he had to drop out. Yeah. Because he was like, I got this other movie. I've already started working on it. And it's moving. Mm -hmm. So we need somebody else. So Bird goes to JJ and says, hey, can I get a script? And JJ would like kind of push and delay him and be like, well, you're going to get a lot of input in the script process. So, you know, just give us some time. And then finally it got close enough that Brad Bird was like, dude, where's the fucking script? And JJ had to say, we have a lot of drafts, but we have no final script. We, we don't have one. So in exchange, he told him, here's the thing. You will have as much input on the final script as you want. Yeah. Like, if you want it to be what you like, you can change whatever you want. So then Brad immediately steps in and starts working on the script with these guys because they don't have anything in stone. So then <laughs> this gets really bad. It went through a ton of changes. And one big example is that original van escape scene. Originally, the entire team is completely confused. They have no idea what Ethan is doing. Mm -hmm. And they filmed it like that. Okay. And then Brad got the cut back and was like, this is ridiculous. Agree. That would be ridiculous. And he blamed it because he did not have a full overview of the plot at that point. Fair. He didn't know why they were coming in to break him out of this prison. Mm -hmm. Once he did, they went back and reshot the whole sequence. Good. Because that, here's the thing. That opening sequence very much like we have talked about in our Bond series. It sets a table. Oh, yeah. That whole sequence is very like, Ethan's in jail? What? Okay, now they're breaking him out of jail. So there's that There's that whole thing. Okay, we're breaking someone out of jail. It happens to be Ethan. Okay, great. And now Ethan wants to break someone else out of jail with him. So, okay, that's that, that he has clearly hasn't cleared with the team. But now we're also going to layer in this song with it and make it this whole sequence is hilarious. It's very Brad Bird. It no, but it works beautifully. Oh yeah. It intro- it helps introduce us to our entire team that we have at that time. And then also opens it up to give us the flashback to tell us what we're doing, what is happening. That is good storytelling. It is. But I can guarantee you. Because they were going through this process, that's why we get the rush of the plot. That's why we get this over-escalation of the plot, because they were making it up as they went along. Sure. And in the process of that, they weren't able to, Mm -hmm. they did not have a core to the story. Mm -hmm. Because as we've seen, you can have these guys go in and do massive rewrites all through the shooting of the movie. Sure. If you have the core in place. If you have the core sequences and and themes of like, okay, this is a scene. Oh, we can add this thing here. We can add this. Oh, you know what? If we do this here, we can have it be called to over here. Like you can do that, but you have to have things concrete and not deviate from that plan. Because otherwise you wind up pushing yourself into a corner and you have to elevate the stakes to a certain point to allow for what you're doing. Yeah. 
and then it just loses the audience. And yep. so I, th- I think that's what happened. They, they were trying to figure it out as they went along. Uh-huh. And it just kind of plopped. On the other hand, they did a good job making those sequences. Yeah. So good on them. Brad Bird took something that could have been a disaster and turned it into a very fun movie. Mm-hmm. Who could have been better? We mentioned JJ. Yeah. But also Ruben Fleischer, director of Zombieland and Venom. Okay. And Edgar Wright. He was very seriously being courted for this film. Interesting. But he had to decline because he was finishing up Scott Pilgrim. Oh, Scott Pilgrim is... There are a few things about that movie that have not aged great. Oh, no. But overall, that film is a treasure, and I adore it. All right, on to our cast. Cast. Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. How do you feel about Tom Cruise in this film? I like his hair better in this one. This is some of his best hair. (laughs) Is that all we're ever going to talk about our leads is the hair first? It's very important, especially... Okay, when we do series, I mean, we've... We've really only done series that have the same dude in them. They're they're all leads. Well, when you've got it, when you've got a story that has the same person every time, yeah, it's gonna happen. True. So it's all dudes, which we need to really think about that too as a society. That's more just, lady franchises. Yes, more lady franchises, please. And yeah, it's just you know, it's one of the big things that changes is their appearance. So I'm gonna talk about it. Huh. We talk about what ladies look like all the goddamn time. I'm gonna talk about the dudes' appearances. That's fair. I I was complimentary. <laughs> But his performance. His performance is great. <laughs> he's very frustrated in this film. Like, he's annoyed. Well, he's he's working from handicap. We I don't think we've seen that from Ethan. Like, he's always had the best. Or he's he's also just facing no, an he, impossible situation. Did you really just say that? Yeah, I did. No, I knew. I knew exactly what I was saying. Okay. He's very frustrated. And it's not... He hasn't always had the best. But here, he's got... It's because of the wife subplot. That's interesting because his motivation is something we haven't seen before. He's doing that. Like, this is all to keep protect. It's to protect her. Like, we think they got divorced or she's dead. That's what we we don't know. We know something went bad. He went to jail. Yeah. And so either they got divorced or she's dead. And, and then so we he, get the turn and reveal from Renner. Well, no, we don't know that it's her when, when he reveals his story. We don't find out that until the very end. No, he says he was on detail for Ethan. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no. He he gives us the, I was on detail to protect a guy and his wife in Croatia, and that guy was Ethan Hunt. Oh, okay. And then we're like, oh, shit. Next thing I know, I'm on a plane to Dubai. Wondering the whole time, do I tell him? How do I tell him? I'm responsible. I could have warned him. I should have warned him. But I didn't. And she died. And then at the end, we get the final turn. But, yeah. Which I like that that's what happened. Because then we find out that, like, Ethan's motivation has always been to, like, He's a company man, essentially. Throughout those first few movies, yeah. Through through these movies, he's a company man. Yeah. And then, now, then once he gets a wife, it becomes a little more muddled when the company is protecting a bad dude within the company. Uh-huh. Which is fine. Makes total sense when you got a bad dude. We don't protect the bad dude, even if he's in the company. Fuck the company. It's oh, company. yeah. 
Absolutely. And that's the way it should be. So that's the, that's a different tone from him that I really do like. So, I mean, I, he's good. He's Tom Cruise. <laughs> the end. He gets to be funny in this movie a lot, even more than MI3, because he gets some funny moments in that one. But it's also really fucking dire, the consequences. The, for me, the whole, the scene where he says, no shit. <laughs> Real, it's just, it's, it's that defeated old guy on the team. <laughs> type of thing because he's he's like now i've got all these young kids and i'm the old guy and i do this all the time type of shit and it's just like (gasps) it's great i love it (laughs) cruz did in fact scale the outside of the burj khalifa without a stunt double the building itself is 2722 feet tall he was outside at around 1700 feet up in the air bird basically encouraged him doing all these stunts because of all the great camera angles he could get Mm -hmm. which of course he did sure but he was using cables so strong and numerous that literally the only way he could have been put in danger is if something slammed at the towers at high velocity during filming. That's good. The cables were digitally removed with CGI. Sure. And to get the windows off, two workers had to carefully chip away with hammers on a window washing platform. That makes sense. Because they wanted to keep that glass. That's expensive fucking glass. Well, it's not just that. It's they have to control how to get it out. Oh, yeah. It's not just, they're not keeping that glass. That glass has to be completely replaced. No, fair. They can't afford for it to shatter, and they can't afford to it fall. So they have to be very delicate with how it released. Then we have Paula Patton as Jane Carter. I mentioned her last name for something in the trivia. Before this, she was in Hitch, London, Idlewild, Deja Vu, Swing Vote, Mirrors, Precious, Just Right, and Jumping the Broom. After this, Baggage claim about last night, the perfect match, Warcraft, and the do-over. What do we think of Paula Patton in this movie? I liked her. I liked, you know, seeing a woman of color in this white dude franchise. Based on this movie, she should have more roles. What the fuck? She should. I definitely got just, and she certainly came first, but I got a lot of like Halle Berry and John Wick vibes from her a little bit in here. So I I would love to see more of this from her. Her character is what Tandy Newton should have been the entire time in Mission Impossible 2. She could have been. Oh, yeah. She could have been. She could have had this in there. Now, granted, Tandy Newton's character was more of a pickpocket. It was a different thing, it's, for sure. It was sure. a different thing, but it could have these, like, I'm a badass woman vibes, and Tandy Newton's character had none of those. And also, had Tandy Newton stuck around in the franchise, this is the character that evolved. she would have developed into. She could have evolved into this. Because sure. she was supposed to be an IMF agent. Sure. But- it is a shame because looking through her credits like that, I just gave the highlights of studio films. Sure. She is in a lot of action movies. They're like straight to video B movies. Mm. And I'm like, what the fuck? She is so much better than that. She's great. She's really good in this She's movie. Great. She should also be on, she would be a great addition to like Westworld. She needs to be on some big TV shows. That's for sure. Yeah, she needs to be on a big television series. That'd be great. Her character is thought to be a nod to Barbara Bain, who played Cinnamon Carter in the television series. Oh, okay, nice. So that could be a that could be a wrinkle or a twist they could try to bring back later. Oh, okay. But the Carter thing was a little bit of a nod to the original her show. Name. I like that her character is helping get out this guy. And as soon as he sees her, he's like, Who are you? Oh, nice to meet you. All right. <laughs> like I love I love that. It's just it's a it's a great little like of course I don't know everybody who's out here. I've been in prison for a while. Yeah. Simon Pegg as Benji. Adore him. <laughs> I just he's great and he gets to shine more here. He doesn't shut that Russian general bit 
where they are walking into the Kremlin and he will not shut the fuck up. Oh, no, no, no. I love it at first. He's like, Benji, what are you doing here? Oh, I passed my field exam as he's driving a big truck. It's very like, I'm a big boy driving a big truck. And, and Tom Cruise is like, really? Really? You? You? <laughs> it's great. It, but it makes, it's, it's a great evolution of that character. And then, if, yes, that whole walking in, I'm just so proud. I'm really honored. And like, shut up. <laughs> Very exciting. Being out in the field with you, you know. It's a bit of a dream for me. Love your disguise, by the way. You look just like him. It's a shame we're not wearing masks. You know, like full masks. Everybody gets to wear a mask but Benji. Sorry, I'm tense. I'll babble when I'm nervous. I'm doing it again. Shut up, Benji. He's not, Tom Cruise isn't even saying anything. She's just looking at him like, are you fucking kidding me right now? It's it's so great. And when he needs to come through, Benji comes through. Because of oh. course he does. Yeah. But it's very fun. And then like him as the waiter with the arm, the fake arm. It's just, that is a gr- like, okay, I love the, it's a great gag. And then he's like, oh, I'll play it French. <laughs> it's just, it's, I love that gag. Because it's an old gag. It was like, when we talked about Mission Impossible, we talked about the show being almost a heist show. Yes. This movie has a lot of those original TV show vibes to it. It does have a lot of heist. Because it's it's more heist. This film is more of, there are three heists more than it's diffusing. I mean, they do actually diffuse a bomb. But it's via three different heists. We have to get the fuck in and out of here. And no one can know we were here. Exactly. Which is cool. And that is the plot of the original TV show. So in that respect, they did get the writing right. I think it's just they they overcomplicated it a little too much. And if they'd have reined it in. One of those needed to be removed. And it's most likely the one with Jeremy Renner, which is the one I really like. That one was fun. But that one plays more cartoon and less Mission Impossible big stakes. See, and I don't even think it's that. I think it's just that they they extended all those sequences just too long. It's just that we, we again, it wasn't even Jeremy Renner. It's the, t- we should have the team's backstory, but we get the backstory for the villains. Who cares? And it doesn't matter with the story you're telling. Well, beca- it just doesn't. Because these villains aren't former IMF agents and they're not tied directly to, like the only person that we care about because we see her shoot an IMF agent is the Leia Sadu character. But even her, we don't care about. We just know, oh, she's a bad dude. Who cares? She is an accomplished assassin. That's all we need to know. But I don't need to hear the entire speech of our main villain telling us why he thinks we should think about the end of the world and nuclear war. Exactly. That's a heady statement and an interesting topic for a different movie. Correct. (laughs) Different franchise. You're a bad dude. Pow, pow. Yeah. The end. Next up, we have Jeremy Renner as Brandt. Now, I'm going to caveat this right here. He is awful. Like, legitimately awful. If you want to know why we don't like him, it's because he has said some really horrible things about his ex-fiance. I don't know if that's his actual wife. He said some really horrible things about his former paramour in regards to the custody of their child that are abhorrent. Well, it's not just that. He also held her at knife point. Oh, I didn't know about that. He's a garbage person. And threatened to kill himself. Yeah, no, no. He's... The pits. And the fact that he still keeps getting roles is mind-boggling to me because he is on record as doing this shit. So, yeah. Um, no. 
This is not acceptable behavior. And he is in some severe timeout. Now, let's talk about why we kind of like him in this movie. He's really... That, that's really... <laughs> that's... that's a, not that these things are equal in any way. It's same thing. It's sim- similar to the whole thing with Tom Cruise. It's like, you have this thing about you that I really fucking hate and I find important, but you're really fucking talented and that's annoying. Yeah. Before this, Jeremy Renner was in Dahmer, SWAT, The Hardest Deceitful Above All Things, Lords of Dogtown, North Country, 28 Weeks Later, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, The Hurt Locker, The Town, and Thor, because he shows up as Hawkeye. After this, The Avengers, The Bourne Legacy, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, American Hustle, Kill the Messenger, Avengers Age of Ultron, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, Captain America Civil War, Arrival, Wind River, Tag, Avengers Endgame, Hawkeye for television, which is coming, and he's also scheduled to be in the remake of Spawn. Oh yeah, I heard about that. <sighs> okay, set our caveat aside because we need to talk about we do him in this movie. We do. He is fun. He's very fun. His turn is great. He does that turn very well of being I'm very I'm I'm an analyst. I'm just a straight laced dude. I'm I'm the pencil pusher. We, you always got to have one of those in one of these movies. Why is an analyst a trained assassin? Yeah. It's great. I saw it coming from a mile away. Except the fun part is that throughout the entire thing, he still is the analyst. Like he may be a trained agent, but everything in his being is running and crunching the numbers and not knowing what to fucking do in the field because he's so fucking unsure of himself. It's so much fucking fun. Which is great. It's great to see an assassin who's like, I have these skills. I don't want to use any of them. Also, he fucks up the mission like once or twice. Yeah, he's not great. (laughs) He's not a good, he's not good at his job. No. And that's what makes him interesting and compelling. Which is fun. And also it's, he is a good counterpart to Ethan who has similar skills. Like they do. They're trained in the same way. They truly are. They need to shoot someone point blank. They can do it. Like, it's fine. But having the other, you know, male energy, it's just a nice counterpoint. You actually bring this up about why Ethan is frustrated. And it's because these three are not as polished and on point as he is. They're not quite as highly trained. Mm -hmm. And they have these issues that have to be worked around that might fuck up the mission. Yep. And we see that happen throughout the movie. And you see this this need for Ethan the entire time to try to teach them what they have to fucking do. Absolutely. It's like, I've got this ragtag group of children I have to call. He does. He has to babysit these three. Well, and also, they've got baggage that they haven't dealt with. You've got Benji, who just passed his field exam. Yeah. He's, he's great with computer, but this is his first time in the field. That's baggage. You have Brant, who had some field trauma. So he's analyst. He's undercover as an analyst within IMF with him. Then you have Carter, who has also has lost an agent on her mission. So she's dealing with that trauma. So she also wants some revenge. So she's got a little PTSD from that. And he's just he's over here. He's got some trauma, but he is so compartmentalized that he's like, I can still do my job. I'm good. Well, and he's like, I have to save the fucking world with you three. Damn it. Where's Luther? (laughs) That's the one moment where the stakes feel normal. It's that I have to literally save the world. I have to climb out onto this fucking building. (laughs) And the only people keeping me from dying are literal children. It's a nuclear fucking warhead. Great. Renner stated working with Tom Cruise was a dream come true. Cruise is his idol. Boy, that tracks. Yeah, it really does. 
He had been offered the role of Jackson Lamb in Super 8. That's the role that Kyle Chandler instead took. Instead, Abrams mentioned that Tom Cruise and Brad Bird were interested in him for this project, and he was like, I'm on. He got no other information than the general fact that it was Mission Impossible in the outline, because the script hadn't been written, and he went in. And Brant was written as the eventual replacement for Ethan Hunt once Tom Cruise decides to retire from the franchise. Hint, he will never retire from this franchise. I remember hearing that and thinking, oh, that's perfect. And it's funny because the same thing happened with the Bourne series is that Jeremy Renner got brought on so that Matt Damon could retire and be done. And it's just like, Matt Damon's not done. Fuck (laughs) off. It's like Tom Cruise is never going to not be Ethan Hunt. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, it's. It's one of those things where it's like Ethan Hunt may not be able to be in the field in the same way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Tom is going to hit a point not too long from now where he cannot physically do that stuff anymore. Well, he's going to get to a point where he's going to injure himself to a point where he can't return from in the same way. I'm not hoping for that. And I certainly certainly hope that that doesn't happen. But just seeing his track record. It's just age. Like, that's just normal. It's just going to get to a point where it's going to be like, dude, you're going to lose a literal limb if you keep doing this shit. You've got children. Chill. Yeah. Let Ethan be the guy at the desk. And as much as, as much as, you know, we've criticized him for Death Wish, the interesting thing that we've, we've come across in his quotes is that a lot of the reason that he states he wants to do it is because he feels like when you don't, it reads really badly on screen. It can. And so I think I think it is far more for him because he is producing it. It's a little bit about the thrill. Like, let's not lie. But he also feels like if we're going to do this wild ass stunt, I need to be the one doing it because otherwise it's not going to look good. Well, there's thrill. There's also just flat out ego. Yeah, it's, he does have a giant it's one. It's mostly ego. <laughs> The film can go as a part of it, but we have enough technology now that you can hide most of that shit. Yeah. Like, if we're past the point of that being an excuse, and, and he, it's not like <laughs> these films are hurting for the budget. It could all come out of his budget if he said, I ain't doing any of this shit. Yeah, he, at some point, he is going to have to stop, but not anytime soon, He's apparently. He's going to space. Fuck off. He's doing yep, whatever he wants. Pretty much. Who could have been better? Anthony Mackie. Ooh, okay. Chris Pine. Okay. Tom Hardy. <laughs> also, Tom Hardy, good at playing the unassuming and feckless, but in fact, badass. Oh, yeah. I mean, he also can just play a straight badass. Let's not kid ourselves, but. Come, Tom Hardy can do anything, including playing Vaughn. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't love that choice, but I'm not mad about oh, that. Oh, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I don't, it's not, it's not my first choice, but I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad at but all. But do you like any of these three in place of Renner? <sighs> you know, the one, <laughs> the only reason why I want Chris Pine, he is significantly taller <laughs> than Tom Cruise. He's like, <laughs> he's like 6'1". Tom Cruise is like five nine and a half. And Chris Pine knows the funny. He's got very similar energy. It's that dynamic thing where I was just like, mm, that would. That would be fun. And I I really want Tom Cruise to literally have to look up at somebody. <laughs> I, I I do. I Actually, you know what movie we need to see that in? What? For once, we need to see that in like Top Gun. Because that's the perfect moment for him to have to stare up at people, but him being so commanding that sure. it doesn't matter. 
I, I need Tom Cruise to get over his height. He will, I think. No. When the right role is written for it, I bet he does. No. Eh. I think that's the I think that's his one insecurity that he ain't ever letting Buck go. Eh, fair. And finally, in our main cast, Michael Nyquist playing Hendrix. We talked about him recently in the John Wick series, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to go through his credits. What do we think of Michael Nyquist in this movie? Mm-hmm. It's a shitty character. It's a very rote, few line. I do like the different vibe he gives us in this movie as opposed to John Wick. It's interesting that he's Swedish and he plays Russian all the fucking time, except technically he's Swedish in this movie, but he feels Russian. He feels very Russian. I don't know. <laughs> Probably because of, they can do those weird consonant sounds so well. Mm, fair. But he is better than serviceable. I'll give him that. He, as an actor, absolutely. But again, the villain sucks. The villain just sucks. It's poorly written villain. So I like him as an actor, but I prefer him and John Wick over this. Yeah. Yeah. All right, moving on to Arpons. We have Vladimir Mashkov as Sidorov. This is the guy who is pursuing Tom Cruise all throughout Russia. He shows up in a lot of American films, like 15 Minutes Behind Enemy Lines, and he was on a couple of episodes of Alias. Anil Kapoor as Brijnath. He is a Bollywood star who played Prem, host of Millionaire in Slumdog Millionaire. Mm. Lea Seydoux as Sabine Moreau. We have talked about her in Spectre, and she will be in No Time to Die. Josh Holloway playing Hannaway. It's Sawyer, baby! We have Andreas Wisniewski, the Fog's Contact. This is one of the guys who puts the hood to Tom Cruise. It's the same guy from Mission Impossible, the original, who offers him the hood. Yep. And we also talked about him as Necros in The Living Daylights. Oh, okay. He was one of our bad guys. And uncredited, we have Michelle Monaghan as Julia Mead, Ving Rhames as Luther Stickle, and Tom Wilkinson came in as a surprise. As the IMF secretary in oh, this he's, movie. He's not credited He's at all? not credited. So that was just supposed to be a little, oh. That's, I mean, it, it wasn't, it was, a, oh, because he's in it for very, for so little, but I'm surprised he isn't credited at all. Mm. I'm not surprised he wasn't in the opening credits. I'm just surprised he's not in the credits at all. Yeah, I know. Interesting. That's interesting. Who knows? Hmm. Trivia. Trivia. The hologram projector screen at the Kremlin heist was actually a similar device used in the television series. Oh, very nice. They Lovely did. callback. There were a lot of shots with the guard getting dangerously close to the projection screen. Like that scene went way longer mm. because Cruz wanted it for maximum expense. Bird wound up cutting the shots because he was like, this is ludicrous. It And I'm that was the right choice because at a certain point, okay, when it's at the very end of the hallway, okay. Nothing looks, looks different. Like it looks weird. And then you see them bring it closer and you're like, I'm just losing my mind. Like, I'm just having a weird day. Whatever. The depth perception gets really weird. Totally. And you can completely understand why someone could buy it. But then if you had someone like re- start to get closer to it, no, the illusion is gone. So that was the right choice. God, this is Tom should not be in a fucking editing room. He, sh- he should not. No, he just he does not know how to make movies. He knows how to be in them. He knows how to be in them and he can be helpful in producing them. Yes. But he should not be in charge of the story or the final product. Mission Impossible 2. Mm -hmm. Dermot Mulroney, a classical cellist, is a performer in the orchestra for the score of this film. I did know that he is a cellist. He occasionally does session work for film scores. Well, that's a nice way to make some money. Yeah. And, you know, just... Do something else. It's also just a nice way to keep that skill. The code Ethan enters at the payphone to get the message from IMF is Tom Cruise's birthday, 07362. Mm-hmm. This is a landmark film because it is the first ever American film 
to use Russian text in a subtitle without a single grammatical error. Oh, very nice. Yeah. That's cool. Ethan's call sign is Alpha 113, uh-huh. and Hannaway's ring has A113. Of course, the frequent reference used in Pixar or Cal Arts alumni films based on one of the room numbers for the character animation BFA program. And the TX. Nah, well, yeah, 1138. 1138, yep. And finally, the nuclear warhead passes through San Francisco and is supposed to land near the Emeryville area, the location of Pixar oh, headquarters. I mean, those are cheeky, but I'm fine with that. It's just, I know a lot of people see that stuff and they roll their eyes, but it's also like, it's the same thing as people who are diehard sports fans. It's the exact same thing. That's that's my home team. That's what I'm going to do. Fuck off. That's just, I mean, it's, it's the same energy. Also, Brad hides it well enough in this film that if you're not looking for it, you're not going to know that. No, just what I'm saying is people who get eye-rolly about that shit, it's the same energy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As the people who have their house decked out in Dallas Cowboy shit. Well, or, or even... Or Packers shit, or whatever your sports team is. Oh, it's way more like college sports. Sure, uh, totally. Because it's, it's this, this is their alumni thing. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Of course. We don't have any of that, because we don't give a fuck. But, <laughs> but, you know, we could. But the Cal Arts guys do, because, you know... They got massive amounts of money because they got those degrees. Absolutely. And that is it for this movie. That's all the trivia. There's there's a lot, but it's not that interesting. (laughs) So, rating for this movie. You have seen it. I have seen it. Actually, first time I saw this film um, was a little bizarre. I was actually in the hospital (laughs) on a lot of drugs. I just got my gallbladder taken out. That was the first time I tried to watch Ghost Protocol. <laughs> well, of course, every movie has its own rating system. So, what rating system are we going to give this film? I, know, I, t- I tend to go for a device. Should it be the fake waiter arm? No. Diamonds? No. Uh, sticky gloves. Sticky gloves. <laughs> blue is glue, and red, dead. <laughs> That's just great. Uh, sticky gloves. Sticky gloves. Your film? My film. <laughs> I know I said it was my favorite, but I do recognize its flaws. So I'm going to give it the same rating I gave the last one. It's three and a half. Okay. So three and a half. Like the story needs some help. Like the plot needs help, but it's still so enjoyable to watch. So it's a three and a half. Remarkable consistency from the series. I got to give it to him. It, it is pretty consistent with the obvious exception. I gave the last one a four. I'm giving this movie a three. All right. With, with that plot element, it just Fair. threw me so quick. It's okay. And it never really pulled me back in. But I had a fucking fun time watching it. Yeah, this has been a series where we are just like, this is except for two. <laughs> oh, well, no, that movie doesn't exist. I don't know what you're talking about. There is no Mission Impossible 2. No, it's just annoying. <laughs> it's annoying and I don't like it. But next. Next, we see a movie that I have actually never seen. Of course, I haven't seen it. Yeah, so uh, what's the name of this one? I have no idea. It's Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Rogue Nation. I'm going to assume that Ethan is going rogue. What do you think? Um, Maybe it's IMF that's going rogue. Ooh, interesting. Ooh, I know. We'll see. But first. We have a new movie to talk about. We're watching movies again. Uh, well, we've been watching movies this whole time, but it seems like every new movie we have watched, we have just covered for this show, which whatever so the short lists have started to come out for the oscars that are airing in april oscar nominations are coming out march 15th 
And so we have looked at those and we're going to start watching some of the ones that are readily available to us. Because almost all of them are streaming. Pretty much all of them are streaming. So we've got the time and we can. So why not? So we started with Mank. 1930s Hollywood is reevaluated through the eyes of scathing social critic and alcoholic screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz as he races to finish the screenplay of Citizen Kane. So this is a David Fincher film, and this one goes right into that. Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood. But, it does. But this one I feel like is a little bit different in that this is a story that I did not know about Hollywood. It's uh, a story I don't think a lot of people know about exact, Hollywood. Exactly. This tells a really not really different, but this tells something a lot of people may not have known about the most lauded film in Hollywood, Citizen Kane. Yeah. The story that I'm always told, I've I've never seen Citizen Kane, is that Orson Welles wrote it. Yeah. Because his name's on it as having written it. But he didn't. He did not write it. No. He gets writer credit for it, but he didn't write it. Herman Mankiewicz wrote it. He did. And this is the film about that and how that came to be and his feud with Hearst. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I have no idea how much of this is like true, true, true. versus reported to somebody who knows stuff true. Sure. But it's a compelling story. It's a really well told story. We do know Herman Mankiewicz did, in fact, write the Kisses. Oh, he got an Oscar. He got screen credit for writing sure. it. Sure. So, whatever else, this is a very interesting, compelling story. Yeah. And this fits in that category for Fincher of like personal pet projects. Sure. This feels like the same type of tenderness he brought to Case of Benjamin Button. Not saying that's a good movie, but you can tell he really cared about that story. This is a very personal project for him, which shows because his dad wrote the script. Yeah. And his dad passed away in like 2008. So I think he's been like trying to make this movie for a long time. It's a little long. It is a little long. Not everybody is on the same level as Gary Oldman. Who this, is knocking it out of the park yet again. This is Gary Oldman's film. He's very much looking at a nomination for this film. He's not going to win, but he's looking at, he's going to get nominated. Fincher's going to get nominated. Technically, this movie is so good. Cinematography for sure. It's done in black and white. And I love it. <laughs> this film makes a lot of use of gimmicks to make it feel old. Very much so. So Fincher purposely puts cigarette burns in it yes for the the film reel and it was made for netflix so it was it's not on film it was never printed on film stock so there's a part of me that loves that because that's just a person who loves film the sound will dip in and out here and there and that's by design it sounds like an old time film so they did they did a lot of clever things what they should what i feel they should have done in terms of cinematography and the black and white thing was black and white should have only been used for the scenes they did in flashback and everything in present day should have been in color. I think that would have been a better use of that gimmick because he's using a lot of gimmicks. Uh, yes, but I disagree because all of those angles, all of that coloring and all of that tone is Citizen Kane. He is very much using the imagery of Citizen Kane to film the movie. That's just what he's doing. Well, no, I get that, but that would play off better if present day he's filming it in color but the flashbacks we see it as citizen kane that juxtaposition would be more clear i think it's too gimmicky for the whole film to be in black and white it's too Mm. gimmicky 
Whatever. Amanda Seyfried might get a nomination. I don't think so. But she's gonna if she does, it's just because she looks really pretty in the film. Like, sorry, you're a good actress, but you don't do much in this film. I think really who's shining for me were Arliss Howard as Louis Mayer and Charles Dance as Hearst. They're both good, but I don't think they're good enough to warrant, especially because there are other films that are coming out that I think have much yeah. weightier cast. I'm, this is the first one of the lists that we've watched. Yeah. I The only person here I think who's getting an acting nomination is Goldman. The other person who I thought was actually quite excellent was Lily Collins, who uh, plays his assistant. Yeah, she's actually- His assigned assistant. His assigned assistant. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought she was actually quite good. So It's not a perfect movie. But it's a it's an easy and fun watch. It really is. It it was a good one, and I won't be mad when it gets nominated because again, it's a Hollywood film that's getting nominated for some. But it it's deserving. It's deserving of that for the the craft you put into it. Definitely. Oh, I'm not gonna say it's deserving because I haven't seen any other films on that list. But I'm gonna say I won't be surprised and I won't be mad. That's that's where I'm going with that. And then we watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. During a recording session, tensions rise between Ma Rainey, her ambitious horn player, and the white management determined to control the uncontrollable Mother of the Blues. All right. This is another one on the Variety's list of most likely to be nominated for Oscars films. It's had buzz for such a long time because of the incredibly sad passing of Chadwick Boseman, and this is his last feature film. Yep. And then also everybody involved in the film. It's an August Wilson play. Directed by a legendary Broadway director and, and guy, George C. Wolf. It's a bummer for me. Like, <laughs> I like I just, it doesn't. I was bored. <laughs> so I don't think it's a particularly great play adaptation. Correct. I still Correct. was really compelled by the performances. It still pulled me in. I don't think any of the performances were anything of note really i mean they're good performances i don't think any of them are oscar worthy performances and i disagree i think that that's that's where we split apart on this it, it totally is but i do think they're compelling i do think they're they're very captivating the mm -hmm. problem is is they're meant for a stage yeah and this is just set up so boring and they stage this so poorly for screen it's it reminds me a lot of the problem i had with network when we watched that and you're just like no, like you, you literally put us in a room and you just spun your camera around, but not in a compelling way. Yeah. And, and for a film that is about musicians and a singer, there was like almost no music in this film. And I'm not trying to turn it into a musical as much as I love a musical, but there should have been so much more music-ness happening. Like there should have been more music business happening. Yeah. I... And it was bad. It, it is one, it is one thing about August Wilson is he... He is very specific about adaptations. Any any work that's done by him mm -hmm. has to be very strictly controlled. Sure. And he does that very specifically because they are black stories. And he does not want an adaptation to miss that point. And I ever. I don't have a problem with that at all. Yeah. That's very important. I, I don't have any problem with that. My issue is that this on screen reads so boring. And on stage, you can have so many other things happening on stage that this is a very talk, talk, talk bullshit <laughs> thing. Like, there's no action happening. Which it's, I love. Which which can be great, but you have to have business happening. And what I mean by that is 
your actors have to be doing something. So if you're having a conversation, if it's just two people having a conversation, what are they doing? Are they eating? Are they eating dinner? Well, then you actually have to have them eat dinner while they're talking, which means they have they have to be cutting their food. They have to have their mouth full. They have to take drinks of water. Those things have to be happening in order to add the business to the conversation. We don't have any business in this movie, and that's what's missing. When you put something like this on stage, if the main actors who are talking don't have a ton of business, there are other people on stage who can have the business for your eye to go to while you're listening. There are other things you can do. Well, I disagree. They are doing a lot of business. But the problem is, is that the camera is single focusing single actors. Yeah. Because what was happening as I watched it, and part of why I really got into the performances, was I was projecting all the other actors in the room. Like I had enough of a map in my head that I saw what was going on and was thinking, okay, if I saw this on stage, I know this guy's got his bass, he's tuning it. Yeah, but no. This guy's on the piano, but you don't see any of that. But and that's why this doesn't work. Well, yeah, you're doing to you're doing the work for the director and you shouldn't have to. That's a failure of the direction. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like a, I I think a, it, it's a failed adaptation. Yeah. To me, the performances rise above that. To where I can imagine seeing this on a stage. I can imagine it on a stage too. And these are lovely actors. They do a good job. But I just am like, this adaptation takes that away from me. Yeah. So I would not be shocked if any of these people get nominated. Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman are likely getting nominated They're, for this. They likely are. but With the caveat that we haven't seen the other films yet. Correct. We have Somebody not... could blow us out of the water. I hope so. Because these were very meh. Yeah. These these performances to me feel like filler nominations. Oh, uh, see, and I don't I don't agree with I, that at all. I do. I do hope this film gets nominated for makeup and costume because Viola Davis is a gorgeous woman and they made her look really, really awful. Well, yes, and they made she, her look like Ma Rainey. She just looks she looks exactly like Ma Rainey. Like she looks <laughs> It's it's quite good. Yeah, they it did is. they did a great job with that. So I I want that to be recognized. A lot of the styling is very very good. Yes. So I you know production value they're great, but yeah. Don't don't you dare nominate this for directing or cinematography or any of that <laughs> or adaptation. Uh uh-uh, uh. Fuck you. No. I will say to me and 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 we talked about it after. This movie feels like the middle bar for the nominees. Yeah. Are you better than this film or are you worse than this mm-hmm. film? Because if you're worse than this film, you probably don't deserve a lot. Yeah. If you're better than this film, you're in the conversation. Yeah. Because this is the middle of the road. Yeah. This is really like, yeah. But I I really think the performances are that good. I think the hype behind them is very real. That's just me. Well, we'll see how I feel after I see other things. Um, There are other films on this list that I am more excited about. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Facebook.